The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. Nemechek puts Cole Custer into the wall. They both stay on the throttle. Now they're beginning to crash. One truck goes sliding wildly. One truck is in the air. Matt Crafton upside down. The Motor Racing Network presents the tough trucks of NASCAR. 25 years and still trucking. Get the line. Mike Skinner wins it by two one-hundredths of a second. He was too bullheaded to let me pass him, and I was too bullheaded to let him have it. Brendan Gunn wins in his own backyard at the Las Vegas. Fans were in. We partied in the race shop for hours. It was a wild party night. Now here's Sprague going for second. He and Hornaday come together. Now Hornaday goes around, slams into the wall. To this day, he can't tell me if I ever spun him out. Because I can save it better than him. I told you he was going to yeah. say that back. I told you. <laughs> From the Motor Racing Network studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Mike Bagley. Welcome back to MRN Presents the Tough Trucks of NASCAR, 25 years and still trucking. We continue our 10-part journey celebrating 25 years of truck racing with some of the best finishes and jaw-dropping moments we've ever seen. As the inaugural season got underway, it was apparent that these drivers were putting everything they had on the track, and with that came some of the best racing. Mike Skinner and Ron Hornaday Jr. pretty much dominated everywhere, but they weren't always the ones giving the best show. Future NASCAR Hall of Famer Terry Labonte raced Jeff Bodine side-by-side on the last lap at Richmond in 1995 after the two swapped the lead back and forth, back and forth. It's a dead heat. Labonte by inches. Bodine is inside of him. The last lap into turn number one. For the final time, coming into turn number two, it's Labonte to the inside. Bodine to the outside. They make a little contact above turn number two. They touch again halfway down the back stretch. Now at the entrance of three, it's a dead heat. Bodine to the inside. Labonte to the outside. Terry Labonte washes out just a little bit. Jeff Bodine gets a little bit of an advantage. They come off the tournament. It's going to be Labonte coming up, and Labonte's going to win at the finish line. Terry Labonte will win his first super truck race of the year and it was about two feet over Jeff Bodine. Labonte recalls stealing a key piece of his truck from teammate Jack Sprague and then going on to win. Yeah, it was real close, and uh, it was really funny. We went up there and actually tested, and uh, so we went up there and tested, and I can remember uh, Jack Sprague was driving, just started to drive for the team in the other truck, and so I was driving one of the trucks. and So we went up there and tested, and, and so... Uh, Gary Dehart was uh, the crew chief of my truck, and and so we had our truck, and we had, and I drove the other truck, and so we left there, and I, I kind of got Jack a little bit on this deal, I guess, because I told him I said, I don't want this truck, but I want that engine, and so I got I got the engine out of Jack's truck to put it in the in the truck I was driving, but uh, and we we wound up winning the race, so it was uh, it was it was a cool race, uh, another great finish, you know, really close. So. Bodine says the finish was a hard one to accept because it was so close. And I'm not sure if I caught him or he caught me at the end, but all I know is that Henrik's horsepower beat me to the, the finish line, he, and he won the race by a few feet or whatever it was. And really disappointed, but uh, yeah, we just got a little out of horsepower that day. That was Labonte's last truck race. He only ran three total, but the team went on to find success with Jack Sprague as the driver. The very next race at Martinsville resulted in another edge of your seat finish. Mike Skinner and Jeff Bodine had been racing hard against each other all day, 
But with two laps to go, it got aggressive. Going to turn number three, Skinner right. He wraps him again. He gets up beside of him. They touch. Bodine spins. Skinner almost spins. Skinner hits him in the rear of the truck, and now he comes off the turner, and uh, Skinner gets the lead with one lap to go. Rutman has taken the white flag. The yellow flag is waving. Joe Rutman is now the race leader. Rutman's he is off going. Rutman's off turn two, down the back straight away, in sole possession of the lead, and turn three for the final time. Jeff Bodine's truck sits to the inside of turn number four. Here comes Rutman off the corner. He is going to take the yellow and the checkered flags. Skinner is going to finish second. Mike, you gave it everything you had, just, uh, you gave it everything you had, but sometimes you just come up a tad short. What happened out there? Well, just a short track deal, you know. We're here at Martinsville. It's a real aggressive deal, and, uh, we're trying to win a championship here. We're trying to points race, and some of the guys come in this race that have nothing to lose and everything to gain by winning them. And you know they're going to be a little more aggressive, but uh, you know we're we'll probably run a couple cup races next year. Shoe be on the other foot. Jeff Bodine expressed his frustration post race as well. I'm really disappointed in the way they drove today. I made some clean passes. Hey, you bump and grind on short tracks, but uh, that's part of it. But when you run in a guy from behind, just deliberately put him out. That's a cheap shot, and they've got good trucks. They've got good car owners, truck owners, excuse me, and good sponsors. They need to drive like uh, their teams are, a little bit, with a little bit more class. 25 years later, Mike Skinner says that's how he and Bodine always raced and expected nothing less. Same thing that happened anytime Jeff Bodine and I raced it with each with each other. There were sparks flying everywhere. Oddly enough, we got along pretty good off the track, but man, we were we were oil and water when we got on the racetrack together and. Um, just uh, he was too bullheaded to let me pass him and I was too bullheaded to let him have it so it just uh, it didn't end well and uh, you know I think he had that uh, that relationship with a few guys over his career but uh, you can't say the man wasn't wasn't uh, he, he was a, he was a little guy but was really really big when he was behind the wheel of a race car however Jeff Bodine's stance on the aggressive moves hasn't changed and uh, he spun out Skinner spun me out, just playing his day, just turning around, coming off turn four, and he didn't win the race, which was good because what he did to me was blatant and not right. Everyone thought there was going to be a big fight at the end and all that, but you know, it's just racing, and uh, back in those days, uh, he was, Skinner and Hornaday were kind of, well, their hero was Dale Earnhardt Sr., Sr., and so they wanted to drive like him, they just run into you to win or do whatever. So I just shrugged it off and went home. And <laughs> that's the only that's the only race series at Martinsville that I haven't won in, so I really disappointed, but uh, can't do anything about it after it's over. Skinner won the championship that first year, winning more races than anyone else in the field. Mike Skinner found himself in another dead heat race to the finish in 2004 at Atlanta. He had led more laps than anyone that day, and when the white flag flew, it looked like he had a good lead on second place Bobby Hamilton. Mike Skinner, who had the save of the day just a couple of moments ago, is going to try to hold on. Here comes Bobby Hamilton, though. This time he's topside, off of two. Hamilton going to get it wound up on the outside lane, pulling to within one truck length of the race leader, Mike Skinner. Final time onto the back straightaway. Skinner moves the block. Here comes Hamilton to the outside. They are side by side into turn three. This is going to be close. Here they come off turn number four. Mike Skinner has the lead. Bobby Hamilton takes the high side of the banking by inches. Now they make contact. Skinner spins across the line. Bobby 
Tommy Hamilton is going to win the race. Mike Skinner skids across the grass at the apron of the racetrack here at the start-finish line. They were leaning on one another, coming off turn four. Bobby Hamilton gets the win, but it got physical. That, that race reminded me of my cup career. You know, you can qualify up front, you can lead all the laps, you can have the field covered, and for some reason, something would happen. Either the right front would blow or belt would come off the alternator or a piece of rubber would get in something. It, it just it was one thing after another and, and I love Atlanta and I, I always ran good there and and if you remember the race at all, I had a big lead with three or four laps to go and oddly enough here come the old Jacques Debris or some some reason we had a caution and um you know he, he made a big run on the outside and just he, Bobby took me to school there, and, and I was, you know, his last lap. Had to go. So I was trying to side draft him, and I ended up crossing the line backwards and finished second. So uh, it was a good run for Toyota. They were very, very new. And at that time, we were, we were underpowered pretty good. We were, we were probably about 25 horsepower off of what Bobby had under the hood of, of his truck. He had a Dodge. And... Uh, we, we were just lacking in horsepower, but we sure made up for it in the corners. Our truck really drove good in the corners, and uh, we, we I'll never forget because we complained because they were chassis dyno and stuff back then, and and uh, they they just told the Toyota guys, well, you guys just need to work harder. You know, you, you know we're not going to take nothing away from, from Dodge or, or, or Ford or Chevy. You, you're just going to have to work harder. So wasn't about four, five, six months later, we had 20 more horsepower than they did. And boy, then you should have heard all the crying then. Skinner wasn't always on the losing end of an intense last lap battle, though. By 2008, he had situated himself as one of the best to drive a truck ever. And at Las Vegas, he showed youngster Eric Darnell why. Skinner to the outside of Eric Darnell, and they're side-by-side side for the race lead. Darnell to the bottom. Skinner to the outside. Colin Brown in third. Further back, there are three wide for fifth with Ron Hornaday stuck in the middle. That'll be Rick Crawford down to the bottom side. Here comes back to the inside. The re-challenge for the number one spot. Darnell wants it. Skinner's got it covered. Skinner leads him off turn four. A veteran move by the champion Mike Skinner. He went to the outside, pinning Eric Darnell down. He couldn't get the momentum. So Skinner leads. It is Darnell in that second spot. Skinner takes the white flag. One more lap at Las Vegas. Final time into turn number one, and it's a two-man dance at the front. Mike Skinner to the inside, but here comes Eric Darnell using the outside lane. Brandon Dawn spins behind the leader to the backstretch for the final time. Darnell tried some high side momentum, hoping that would get him down to the inside. Skinner has got him covered. Puts that Toyota to the bottom white line. Darnell to the outside. They battle side by side off of four. Both trucks sideways off four. Darnell to the outside. Here they come. They're crashing in the back at the line. Mike Skinner wins it. Skinner wins it by two one-hundredths of a second, and they're piling it up in the back of the pack. John Wood is in it. Colin Brown piles the outside retaining wall, but Mike Skinner breaks the 22-race winless streak by two one-hundredths of a second here in Las Vegas. That win ended a 22-race winless streak for Skinner, and in victory lane, he showed how important that was. Uh, it's, it was all good. Like I said, uh, that boy in front of me, uh, he's, he's, uh, he was really, really tough, but uh, we bounced off of him there and just had a little momentum right there, and uh, old trick uh, Dale Earnhardt Sr. taught me a long time ago. I was going to say that last lap, we were looking back at the replay on it. You saw the lead change coming from three and four at least four times in that short stretch between you guys before you finally came out in front. 
What was going through your mind during that run? Hell, I don't know. <laughs> I was just racing. Uh, I was just trying really, really hard, and uh, they've stuck with me, and, and we've not done them a good job this year, but uh, the five truck is back. That loss still stings for Darnell. I don't like to remember that one. Um, I remember we had the best truck all day long. Um, actually, between me and Johnny Benson. Johnny led a bunch early, and then he ended up blowing a tire, and I got the lead after that, and uh, I, we had the truck to beat. And had a restart late. Uh, I was on the inside. Uh, Mike got a good push on the outside groove, and he got ahead of me uh, coming off of two on the white flag lap. I went down into three, and I I'm just, I got to hold this thing to the floor and try to get back around him. And I got back around him, but he did the side draft to me, and it was just enough for him to beat me back to the start-finish line. So ended up on the losing side of it that day. A nerve-wracking situation the following year for the trucks while at Kansas. Mike Skinner was leading the race when the rain finally came down. Ooh, heavy lightning turn. just coming down behind Buddy Long out there. Buddy, I would tell you to turn around and look, but no need to scare you. I don't want to look. <laughs> a giant cloud-to-ground lightning strike just out uh, behind the Speedway's Turn 4 area. NASCAR is saying to us now that this race has been postponed and it is going to be rescheduled. This is Monday, not tomorrow. Shortly after the change of schedule, Mike Skinner received a heads-up that saved him from a very bad outcome. And there was a tornado watch or warning, whatever it is, and... Tornado was coming, and my phone rings, and it's Wayne Ott, and he goes, where in the hell are you? I said, we're in the bus. Well, get out of the bus. The bus is going to be three counties away here in about an hour, so get your ass over here. Get in the tunnel. Get to the uh, infield care center. It's a brick building, but get out of there. I said, man, there's about 10 of us. He says, I don't care. Bring them. And so we brought the whole brood of us over to, uh, I guess it was the Infill Care Center that we ended up in, and um, waited it out. They they held that thing over, I think, till Monday, right? And we got to go up and watch the, the IndyCar race. And I learned a bunch watching the IndyCar race. And we changed a few things, and, and I changed my line around and came back and won the race. Truck Series heavy hitters Jack Sprague and Ron Hornaday Jr. always delivered memorable moments when they raced. One of the best came in 1996 at New Hampshire. Sprague had been battling back and forth for the lead with Joe Rutman all day. And one mistake on the last lap changed the outcome of the race. Here they come side by side for the final time, mirroring each other, drag racing for the race win. It's Sprague to the inside, Rutman to the outside. They make contact in turn three. Now Rutman has the advantage, Sprague is sideways. Here's Hornaday, now Sprague clips Rutman. Rutman spins around as they drag race for the win. Ron Hornaday dives to the inside, comes down to the start finish line. He picks up the win in the Pennzoil 200, a tremendous finish. Now Jimmy Hensley, he'll spin off turn number four and slam the inside retaining wall. In his post-race interview, you can hear in Sprague's voice the disappointment in himself. I lost and took Joe out. I apologize. I'm sorry. I, I can't even believe I did it. I was junk on restarts. Terrible loose. And after Ron came up the outside there, I think Joe figured out the outside was pretty good. But uh, he got out there and we made it through three, three ends fine. And then the last end, it was all or nothing. And I lost it. If he wasn't there, I'd hit the wall. I'll tell you what, though, Jack, you sure made some fans here today. You showed how, how to drive a pickup truck this afternoon. 
Well, I'm just, like I said, I'm sorry I got into Joe, and I, I can't believe I did it. To this day, Jack Sprague isn't sure what caused him to lose control and still has that disappointment in his voice. Here's what happened. I don't know if it was the tires we were on or what was going on, but everybody was out of control for like three or four laps after a restart, and me especially. I don't know why. After a restart, I would be out of control, then I'd get back to the front and take off. I led all day. Rutman was second. Hornaday was third. We take off. I'm out of control. Rutman gets by me. Now it's Rutman, me, or me, Rutman, Hornaday. We go into three. I know it's me, Rutman, Hornaday. We go into three. Rutman hits me a little bit. I'm out of control. Ron goes on the apron. This is going into three for the white flag. Ron was almost lapped. He wasn't even contention all day. He might have been fifth on the restart. He wins a race. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. There is no way he just won this race. He did. I don't know where I finished, second or third. Jack Sprague and Joe Rutman had another heated last lap tangle in the 1997 season opener at Walt Disney World Speedway. The events of New Hampshire the previous season were still in their minds as they came into the last lap. One more lap for Jack Sprague to hold on for a season opening win. Here is Joe Rutman going to look down to his inside as they head to turn one for the final time. They touch. But Rutman gets down to the inside. Sprague spins to the outside. Jack Sprague slams the outside wall. Now Rutman's down the mid straightaway off to the second corner. All by himself. Joe Rutman into turn number two with the second and third place trucks of Butch Miller and Rich Mickle closing in. But it's Joe Rutman coasting through turn number two. Back on the gas off turn two for the win. Rutman set sail down the back stretch after going winless in 1996. He'll come home a winner today in the first race of 97. Joe Rutman wins the Chevy Trucks Challenge, picking off the lead from Jack Jack Sprague on the very last lap going into turn number one. Rutman explained in victory lane that he knew Jack was having tire trouble and waited for his chance to make a move. We've had a tremendous truck all along, but I've just never gotten a position where we could win. And we knew we had an awful fast truck here today. And, and Jack was uh, having problems at the end there with his tires. And, and he slipped a little coming off that corner. And when I when I got inside of him, he, uh, he decided to, to, to ease up on the track a little bit. So there wasn't enough room for both of us. But, we, it was a good race, and uh, we needed this win real bad. This is a far cry from the way the season started a year ago. At what point did you realize today you might have something for Sprague down the stretch? Well, at the second half, I, uh, you know, we were nursing real good. With about 10 laps to go, I kept asking Randy. I says, I said, what are we doing? And uh, he says, uh, you know, he started counting down the laps, and, and Sprague wiggled a couple times, and, and the tires were a real, real problem. And uh, and I knew that if we could just stay close enough to him and he wiggle one more time, we'd have him. Sprague knew it was payback from New Hampshire and couldn't do anything about it. He was mad at me. That's what it was. He was mad at me for New Hampshire when I got into him and Hornaday beat us both because I was out of control on the restart. So I led most of the day at, New, at Walt Disney World. That was another weird track. Last lap, we had a restart with three to go. It was the only reason he was close to me. And he stayed with me. In the last lap, he hit me. Got me sideways, I save it, and he hits me again and spins me out back at the fence. He wins the race. Had a, had, had a one. Fled all day long. Jack Sprague seemed to find himself in a lot of jaw-dropping last lap battles. In 1999, at the one-mile oval of Pikes Peak International Raceway, Jack Sprague and Mike Wallace were going hard, racing to the finish giving fans some incredible drama. While Sprague slides up high in two. Here comes Wallace to the bottom of the racetrack. They're side by side for the lead down the back chute. A drag race back to turn number three. Sprague up high, Wallace down low. Wallace tries to gouge his way to the bottom of the racetrack. Now Sprague swings out wide. They're dead even off turn four. 30,000 fans at Pikes Peak International comes to their feet as they're side by side. They cross the stripe. 
Wallace will nip him to the line. Oh Give my. the win to Mike Wallace in the Napa 300. Oh my, what a comeback victory for Mike Wallace, who comes off of turn four, bangs quarter panels with Jack Sprague. Let's go to pit road. MRN announcer Fred Armstrong remembers that day, and from his position, how fast everything happened. That's a fat, that was a fast track. That was a fast track. So he probably, you know, just got the mow going down the back straightaway. I was positioned on the back stretch about halfway down. And uh, so, I mean, when they came blowing by me, they were hauling the mail. That was a very quick little, very smooth track, um, you know, fairly new. When, when one guy dive bombs in and slides up and the other guy gets underneath and, and, and wins, isn't that what we all want? And that's the best because it was all or nothing, you know, for both of them. And when I see all or nothing, that just, that just raises the hair on the back of my neck because that's what you want on the last lap. And, and not contact, but just overdriving it. You know, that's, it's awesome to see that because it didn't work, but he tried, you know, and, and that's also the feeling, you, you, you kind of climb into the cockpit for a moment and think, why didn't you just go in the corner the way you did before? It stuck the last lap. Why did you put that extra little bit in there? Because he knew behind him was an extra little bit coming at him, and he had to. And any of those finishes, they just those are the ones that stick in your mind because that's all or nothing into the final corner. And if you're a NASCAR fan at all, you crave that, and you, you feed on that. Sprague knew there was nothing he could have done at the end, but that didn't make up for the sting of a loss. Oh, it's sickening. I mean, I know what happened. We had a lap on the field there. We could make it till the end, and we were hoping to go green till the end. This thing was awesome. The guys did a great job. You know, it come down there, and we had that yellow. We were the only truck on the lead lap, so we were just going to ride around for four laps and win the thing, and got another caution, and they got behind me. They had probably 20 laps on the right sides. I had 100, and just couldn't hold it. I mean, I was terrible loose, and just couldn't do nothing about it. Race winner Mike Wallace said the victory meant a lot to the team after almost going a lap down during the race and battling back. I thought Jack was going to just steal the race. You know, he looked like he had everybody a lap down, and when he jumped out front, and they said the caution's on, I says, you mean we got a shot at him again, you know? So I, all I wanted to do was a shot to race him. You know, I mean, if he beat us, he deserved to beat us. But, you know, I drove, I drove hard, he drove hard. Today, the best team, the best driver, the best crew, everything won the race. Today, Wallace says that race is one that sticks out in his mind for multiple reasons. The uniqueness of that race. You know, there are certain things that in your life that you remember as a driver. And at that time, it was the first time that somebody had won two major NASCAR races on the same day at the same racetrack. I had won the Winston West race earlier in the day. And from being going to sitting on the pole, going a lap down for uh, throttle linkages fell off, come back to win that race. Then the truck race with Jack Sprague, you know, we, we early in the race, we were about ready to get lapped, literally just a half a straightaway from getting lapped. Caution comes out, they come in, put a spring rubber in the right rear, drive back to the front, racing at the front. And I just remember somehow through pit stop cycles, everybody pitted except for Jack. Caution come out, Jack's got a lap on the whole field per se no chance we're going to win this race. I think we're talking within the last five laps, somewhere in that category, let's say the last 10. We jump out in front of Jack, and fortunately, a caution come out. It allowed me to cycle all the way back around the racetrack, line up behind him. We come down to the last lap off a of turn four by one foot win at Pikes Peak that day. So uh, it, it was, th those are memorable races, exciting races. That's what's made the truck series so exciting.
One of the biggest themes that always comes up in the truck series is veteran versus youth. Since the series is used as a stepping stone for young drivers to start their career and move up, they wind up racing against drivers that have made their career dominating the series. That was the case in 2008 at Michigan when Eric Darnell matched up with Johnny Benson Jr. on the last lap. Racing for the win up the back straightaway. It is Eric Darnell, Johnny Benson, side by side. Benson to the bottom of the racetrack. This is the race for the lead and the win at Michigan. Benson down low. Darnell trying to hold him off in the outside lane off turn four. Darnell has the lead. He's on the high side of the track. Johnny Benson pulls to the inside. He gets a great run coming off turn number four. He's there, but Darnell is with him. That is a photo finish. The scoring says that Darnell won it, Barney, but if he did, it was by a quarter of an inch. Benson was right up alongside him. I'm sure NASCAR is going to observe this and uh, take a quick look at some of the films and everything else available. It was actually that close. that There was no more than an inch or two difference between the two. MRN turn announcer Dave Moody says the experience Benson paired with the newcomer Darnell is what made the race so exciting. It was a really neat matchup because Johnny, even at that point in his career, was seen as a veteran guy, you know, a, a guy that had seen it all and done it all and wasn't going to be caught by surprise by anything that happened out there on the racetrack. Eric Darnell was was the newcomer. You know, he was the fresh young face. He was the uh, the guy that had come, if memory serves, out of Jack Roush's Gong Show. And it seemed like Johnny Benson had everything everything behind him. He had all the experience. He knew exactly what to do. Eric Darnell was just trying to figure it out. But I'll tell you, the kid did a heck of a job, and it was a great race. Today, Darnell still remembers the race as one of the best in his racing career. That was definitely an exciting day, to say the least. Like, I knew we had a good truck all day long. We didn't quite get ourselves in position to be put out front until we were about 20 to go. And once I got out there, you know, I knew we had a shot at it. I just had to keep those guys behind me. And I think there was a late pit stop there somewhere, and I know some guys had tires behind us that were coming, and we didn't have tires. But I knew if we could keep going and I could keep you know, Johnny behind me, um, we'd have a good shot at it. But, man, he got, I remember he got a run off of four and got underneath me, and he actually got ahead of me. And then coming right before the start-finish line, I got right up alongside of him and did a little side draft thing. It was enough to just slow him down to where, I mean, you guys, have, I don't know if you've, you've seen the finish. I, I thought I had him from inside the truck, but it was really hard to tell. And then you go back and look at the photos. It was literally like an inch and a half that, that my nose beat his nose across the line. So that was that was a very exciting race. MRN booth announcer Alex Hayden. The trucks, the way they're shaped, and thank goodness for it, uh, Aerodynamics do come into play, don't get me wrong, but they, the, the uh, high-speed tracks like a Michigan, the fastest track in all of NASCAR up, up, in, up in the Irish Hills in Brooklyn, Michigan, the draft came into play so well for, for the truck series because the lead truck has this big bulky nose that's going to punch a hole in the air, and the big spoiler on the back tailgate of the truck means that the, the wake behind that truck in the air uh, lend itself or lent itself to, to another truck to be able to suck up to the back bumper easily. And for Eric Darnell and Johnny Benson, side by side, they're drafting hard, coming off turn four to pull out and literally go side by side. A couple of things about it was really cool. They did it cleanly. Uh, they didn't feel like they needed to lean on one another or push another one down into the grass or push them up to the wall. They could literally get side by side and become a drag race. And that's what we had for the last three, 400 yards uh, coming to the checkered flag was just a straight-up old-fashioned drag race and whose truck was going to have the pull at the very end. Um, but that's what's cool about the truck series is they're not so aero-dependent that 
when one truck gets out in front, they're all gone and you can't do anything with them. You have the ability to pull out and pass. And, and to throw in the fact, Johnny Benson being uh, from nearby Grand Rapids, Michigan, to uh, his home track, to be able to try to go up there and pull off a win up there and try to fight for the win, at least be in position for it, uh, that's all you can ask for as a race car driver, especially at your home racetrack. So um, it, it's uh, it's one of the best finishes, not only in the truck series, but all in NASCAR, for them to come down to the line and literally be too close to call. And, and we use the, the phrase photo finish a lot, but this truly was a photo finish. You had to look at the photo to figure out whose nose, which inch of a nose was at the, at the finish line first. But uh, what a fun race that was. One track that has repeatedly given unbelievable finishes is north of the border. Canadian Tire Motorsport Park only started hosting Truck Series races in 2013, but it seems like every race there delivers an epic, can't-miss finish. The first race gave a first win to a young driver trying to fill the legacy of his name. Working up the hill, here they come. Here's Chase Elliott. He's right up underneath the rear spoiler now of the race leader, Ty Dillon. Looking to outbreak him. They may have made slight contact in turn eight. It continues to be Ty Dillon showing the way. Ty Dillon doing a great job of protecting the lead, but he doesn't have much more time. Here comes Chase Elliott to the inside, now to the outside. Chase Elliott still in that second spot. When they come up the front stretch, they'll see the white flag. One more lap for Ty Dillon and Chase Elliott. Ty Dillon is going to have to drive his hardest. Here comes Elliott to the inside. Can't make it go. Hops over the rumble strips. He's sideways. That allows Dillon to get away. Dillon's side. Sideways at the exit of one, he leads by three truck lanes. And lost a bit of momentum, did Chase Elliott, has to gather it back through turn number two. Three truck lengths between Ty Dillon and Chase Elliott. Into turn number three, under braking for the final time. Elliott closes in a bit at the exit of turn number three. Dillon sideways, but it's Dillon pulling away off of turn number three, down the hill for the final time. Under the Continental Tire Bridge by three truck lengths is Ty Dillon. The two leaders trickle down a very tall hill. They make the return. Right hand up into 5A. Now round 5B. Again, a truck length separation. Again, who gets up near the gearbox and can win that battle to the top of the hill? Here goes Elliott to the inside. The war is on. Under the bubble one bridge, the driver's left. Chase Elliott grabs the lead. It's still Ty Dillon with a door handle to door handle. Side by side, the Canadian fans on each side of the straightaway on their feet. Wheel to wheel to turn eight. Who's going to give last? It's still Ty Dillon inside. He overshoots the corner. He'll take the race lead away from Chase Elliott. Here they come through the S's. Ty Dillon with the lead. Chase Elliott all over the tailgate. He gets into Dillon. He turns Dillon off turn number 10. Elliott moves by. Chase Elliott will take the checkered flag in the Chevrolet Silverado 250 after making contact with race leader Ty Dillon off the final quarter. An amazing conclusion to the first NASCAR Camping World Truck Series race ever held outside the U.S. Elliott says even today he would have liked to earn that win in a different way and doesn't like the fact that he had to wreck someone to get it. I remember just, you know, crashing Ty for the win there. I mean, obviously it wasn't uh, wasn't my end goal to crash him to win that race, but, you know, things happened, and, you know, I was trying to go somewhere he was trying to go, and it worked out like it did. But, um, you know, still win. Obviously it is what it is. Got the trophy, but not uh, not the most ideal way to, to go home that day, but it is what it is. MRN's Alex Hayden says what made that finish so spectacular is Chase Elliott's aggressive driving, which is unusual for him. I remember the race. Uh, for Chase Elliott, I mean, 
not by his choice, Chase Elliott is, you know, air quotes here, the chosen one, if you will. I mean, uh, obviously his his dad, NASCAR Hall of Famer Bill, uh, with the, everything that Bill Elliott is and was, and for Chase Elliott to have to fairly or unfairly have to live up to, everybody knew he was a heck of a driver. He had won short track races and late models all around the country. We knew he could drive. We knew he had the ability to get it done. At that point, just hadn't gotten to victory lane yet. And it, it was another one of those classic finishes in the truck series where there was going to be some wrinkled up sheet metal and there was going to be some wrinkled up feelings after it was all over. But uh, for Chase Elliott to, to go in there and get a, a aggressive and, and take the checkered flag, because part of the knock with Chase Elliott, and some can say it still is to this day, is he's not the type of aggressive driver uh, that's going to move somebody out of the way to win a race. He's, he's just not built that way, and that's fine. I, I respect that. But in this instance, Chase Elliott was not going to be denied. He knew he had the best truck. He knew he was going to do what it took to win that race. And road course racing, especially up there in Canada, that type of facility and all road courses, they lend themselves for that because you're not running 175 or 180 miles an hour going through a high bank corner where if you wreck, it, it can be really, really dangerous. Don't get me wrong. Any wreck at any speed can be dangerous, but it's far less at a road course, and especially the closing three corners of, of Canadian Tire Motorsport Park because there are 90-degree turns, right, left, right. There's a lot of runoff room there as well, and there's some room to get the, the, the vehicle corrected and get back on the racetrack. But to, to see Chase Elliott and be a part of Chase Elliott and calling him to, to victory lane, one of the coolest things because once he got that checkered flag, I think you can almost get a, a, a sense of the sigh of relief, not just from Chase himself or his race team, but from race fans in general and people in the sport, and especially for Chase himself, because now he doesn't have to keep answering, why haven't you won yet? When are you going to win? He, he was finally able to get that done, and maybe that was part of the motivation, knowing that he had as good a truck as he had and knowing that it was going to take some contact to win that race. Maybe in the back of his mind he knew he had to get that done just to stop answering those questions because I could see how that could get kind of uh, irritating and a little bit tedious so uh, Chase Elliott's first win in that truck series was something special the very next year it was the same story just different characters last lap battle between Ryan Blaney and Herman Caroga that led to one jaw-dropping finish. This race will be decided in the next two and a half miles. It's Blaney leading Caroga with a white flag waving in the air. Final time into turn number one, and Ryan Blaney's got a truck length and a half advantage. That's the most he's had in a long, long time. Caroga now is going to have to close the gap as they head down the hill. And here comes Herman Caroga to within one truck length into turn number two. Up the hill for the final time into that long, sweeping right-hand turn number three. Blaney slides up. Kiroga right to the bottom of the racetrack. Drifts out wide, as does Blaney. The margin, a truck length and a half off of turn number three under the Continental Tire Bridge. Winding down the hill, turn 5A, B and C. Ryan Blaney with a truck length advantage. Hitting his marks, as always, for the last several laps. Kiroga closes right up to the tailgate. Blaney wiggles a little as he gets back up to the gearbox. And for the final time, under the Bubble One Bridge, the track races on. Kiroga running out of time. The two lead drivers climb the hill. Kiroga looking for the opportunity. Ryan Blaney leads. Kiroga there. Kiroga to the driver's right. Blaney puts the block on. Closest battle we've had yet. Side by side to turn eight. 
Blaney has the preferred line on the right. They're still wheel to wheel. The battle for the lead and the win in Canada. Herman Kiroga side by side with Ryan Blaney. Middle of the S's. Kiroga makes a pass. He's got the lead. Off turn 10. Here comes Blaney again. Charging up to the inside. Side by side across the line. And Ryan Blaney comes back to get the victory by just a couple of feet at the expense of Herman Tiroga in the Chevrolet Silverado 250, the second event here at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, another tremendous finish. In his post-race interview, you can hear the frustration in Herman's voice at how close the finish was and how it felt to come up short. I was trying hard to, to make him do a mistake and uh, finally in the last lap, I mean, we were running so close, it wasn't like I, I could do anything, you know. I, I was trying really hard, and it's so hard to pass. And, and on the last corners, I, I got a run on him, off of him, and uh, I was just trying to protect. I knew I didn't have the line because I was passing him, and uh, he just got a really good uh, run off turn nine, and he beat us by not much. It's more frustrating. I just I just can't believe how things are. Uh, we were so fast. Uh, everybody at the team, they built this this truck to win, and uh, to came second this it's so bad. Uh, I feel I feel terrible for for everybody, for for my sponsors, for Autobox, for Toyota. I mean, we, we try hard, but we were again close. Ryan Blaney says, "Yes, the win went their way, but the racing was so good, and that's what he remembers most about that finish." I remember the whole last lap of that race. Um, small details before that, how we we kind of we did that stop, and we did that race a one stop. Uh, that's how we got in the position we were in to get to the lead and restart with, I don't know how much it was to go, maybe seven to go. You know, he was probably the fastest car all weekend and truck, I should say. And uh, that last lap, I remember him being really close and I kind of missed that. I think it's turn five A and B up there, the very top of the hill, that tight corners leading to that really long back stretch. And I remember him getting alongside of me and we raced side by side through the last few corners. And you know, they had that left and then right hander leaning onto the front stretch. And he kind of slid really far past the left. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna, set myself up for this right-hander. He was in a bad spot, and we were able to cross back under him and beat him to the line. So that was exciting. That was a really exciting finish. That, that place always puts on really exciting shows. It's a really fun road course. I wish the Xfinity cars would go up there. And Not to mention the, the fans in Canada are really great also. They're, they pack that place out. and They love NASCAR racing up there. But, um, yeah, that was a cool race. That was a very exciting finish, and that one worked out for us. MRN's Alex Hayden. <laughs> It, it was crazy because my turn position at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park up there in Canada, the last turn position for Motor Racing Network, you don't see them. It's a straightaway that gives way to a right, back to a left-hand turn, and then the final right-hand turn to the, to the checkered flag. But they come blasting up the hill, and just out of the blue, they're at full speed coming up the hill, and you pick them up immediately. Uh, I know it was a heck of a drag race down that long straightaway. And I knew whoever could outbreak the other person going into that 90-degree right-hand turn uh, was going to have the advantage. In my mind, that was going to be the person. Come, come down to it, they were fairly equal going through the right-hand turn. I thought, wow, that's, that's impressive. And I dropped the call off to the guys in the booth to, to bring them to the checkered flag. And obviously, I was watching all of this take place because once past my position and drop it, I become Alex the race fan because I am a race fan. Like, who's going to win this thing? And they get sideways. Both of them get sideways after their 90-degree right. They got a 90-degree left-hand turn immediately. They were both kind of slipping and sliding sideways. And then the final 90-degree right-hander back to the start-finish line, I saw them bounce off of each other the first time. And then I lost them out of my view. And I remember the call in my head about the, the chaos that ensued getting to the checkered flag. But what a race. And that racetrack 
paired with the truck series and the way these drivers are, doesn't matter what era of the truck series they are, the, the idea is the tough trucks of NASCAR. They're tough drivers, they're tough trucks, tough crew members, and it proves it every single time we race up there in Canada on that road course because they seem to have the same type of finish, which means that they're close together the whole race. They don't get away from each other, and it means that somebody wants to win the race. And with Blaney doing what he did to, to get to the checkered flag first was was what racing's all about. And that's why people pay their money to come be a part of it. Why, if I wasn't broadcasting, I would pay my money to go watch racing because of finishes like that. Another track that delivers on the excitement scale is Gateway International Raceway. And it did just that back in 2004. In the last 20 laps, there were four cautions, three of those being wrecks. It seemed like the field couldn't get around the track even once without wrecking, and when they finally did, the last lap did not disappoint. Bit of a bonsai move by David Starr trying to chase down the leader, Chad Chaffin. He'll have one more lap to get the job done. Chaffin crosses the stripe. David Starr filling his mirrors, nose to tail into turn one. Right now, Chad Chaffin has the pressure. Starr tries to uproot him right on that rear deck lid. Gets him out of the way. David Starr takes the lead off of turn two. Not done yet, though. Here comes Dennis Setzer, Ted Musgrave, both of them have gotten by Chad Chapman running the fast lane on the outside into turn number three for the last time. Dennis Setzer might have something. David Starr up a half a groove. Musgrave's on the outside of Setzer. Musgrave will try and power around Setzer. Here comes Starr looking for a second win. The first was at Vegas. Here they come to the stripe. Checkered flag. Starr gets the win. Setzer in second. Musgrave in third. Race winner David Starr. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I remember we probably had about a seventh place truck that day. Uh, we wasn't very good. The truck didn't rotate, didn't turn really good in the center of the corners, and uh, I didn't think we had the drive off turn two that we needed. And, uh, you know, so I think at best seventh was probably where if we could finish seventh, it was going to be a great day for us. And as the race played out, you know, I, I think the dominant truck at the time was Bobby Hamilton, I remember, dominated, and Shane Mill at the time dominated. And, uh, and man, when it came down to 20, 30 laps to go, I mean, they were really racing hard uh, up front. And I was watching this, because I was racing hard trying to, you know, I think I was in eighth place, ninth place, I don't remember what it was, but uh, these guys were digging hard. I mean, we're, we're, you know, it's coming down to the end. And next thing you know, you know, the, the leaders, I think Bobby Hamilton and uh, Shane Mill, they took each other out. I mean, it moved me up to like fifth or sixth spot, you know, I said, wow, you know, I said, man, you know, I'm, I'm going to get all I can get on this next restart because I can, I can get out of here top top three, top five finish, you know. And like I said, the best I had, I thought, all day long was a seventh, eighth place truck. And, man, after Bobby and Shane took their self out, they had another restart. And I don't remember who it was, but, you know, had another big crash up front and it eliminated the leader in the second place again, you know. And I believe uh, it moved me up. Heck, I think I moved up to fifth. <laughs> and, you know, it was like... There's only four or five laps to go, and uh, I, I, it might have been, it might have been there's no laps to go, but they had to have a green-white checkered, you know, and uh, and I think it was a third, third to the last restart, I was fourth or fifth, and I think there was another wreck, and next thing you know, I found myself, I'm second or third uh, on the last restart. I mean, we kept having green-white checkered, green-white checkered, and I'm like, man, I got a shot of winning this thing, and I. I remember Chad Chafin was driving for Bobby Hamilton, and, uh, you know, I thought my truck was a little bit better than his, and uh, but he was in front of me, and uh, he was trying to protect the lead. 
And uh, we went down into turn one, and uh, man, he just hesitated a little bit. You know, when the trucks really rotate in the center, I mean, you just nail that throttle and get a, a shot up off the corner. And uh, he hesitated a little bit, and I got back to the gas a little bit quicker and I actually bumped him. You know, I bumped his rear bumper, and it just messed him up enough. I was able to get a nose underneath him. We drag race down the back straightaway, and I had the preferred line going into turn three, and I was able to complete the pass. And, I won the race, you know, and he, he was pretty upset. I said, hey, you know, I, I get it, you know what I mean? You would have done the same thing to me. It wasn't like I went in there and just dumped you and just knocked you out of the way. It was just a racing thing, you know. And uh, But, man, it was exciting. I just couldn't believe that at best we had a seventh-place truck and all of a sudden we, we won the race, you know what I mean? And I believe it was the last time that the NASCAR Camp World Truck Series had multiple green-white checkers. And I think it was a great rule because we, we really – we really, the series, the owner spent a lot of money. We, we, we killed a lot of trucks that day, you know what I mean? And it, was, and it worked out to my benefit. Second place finisher Dennis Setzer says if the multiple crashes hadn't happened, they wouldn't have had a shot to win. They kept wrecking in front of us, kept wrecking in front of us, and daggone, here we are, wind up, you know, up pretty close on that deal. So it was crazy, uh, just kept happening, kept happening, and uh, opportunity came up for us. And sometimes the best finishes aren't even finishes that happen when the checkers flew. In 2010, Johnny Sauter and Ron Hornaday Jr. were battling hard at Kansas. And while Sauter eventually won, the attention-grabbing moment came with a dozen or so laps to go. Back with you at Kansas, still under the green flag, but an anxious moment for the leaders just moments ago in front of Buddy Long. Well, we knew lap traffic was going to come back into play, but we didn't know this way. As they came upon a pack of lap trucks, it was Hornaday and Sauter fighting side by side for the lead. Hornaday was on the low side, but their closure rate on one of the lap trucks, namely Mario Gosman, was so much so, Hornaday either had the choice of running in the back of him or just going up the banking. Sauter was above him. The two trucks made contact, slid sideways, and continued on. They're still racing for the top spots. Johnny Sauter with the lead. Ron Hornaday still second after that incredible exchange. Now with 11 laps to go. Johnny Sauter remembers the moment fondly. Well, I remember I got out to a pretty good lead after a restart. The other thing I remember is getting the Cool Move of the Year award that they used to give awards out. And uh, I look at that trophy. So it's a little speed award. It's real small, but it, it's something that I have still displayed, and it's it's cool. And I remember Hornaday and I had just gotten into it with each other at Martinsville the week before, and I was threatening I was going to whip his you know tail and all that stuff, <laughs> like I get sometimes when I'm mad. But uh, so then we go to to Kansas, and I'm looking in the rearview mirror, and I know it's coming down towards the end of the race, and he's catching me, and and I'm approaching lap traffic, and I entered into turn three a little bit higher. And the two lap trucks decided they were going to start racing each other. So then that forced my hand to go up even higher. And Hornaday stuck her down in there like Hornaday did. And we made contact. And the whole time I'm sliding, I'm like, he got me again. <laughs> so, um, but then, you know, I actually made a little contact with the wall and straightened me out. And we kept going. And, and uh, Hornaday saved his somehow. So, and I kind of knew after that he probably wasn't going to, you know, try to make anything else happen. So, um, I love Hornaday to death. We still talk to this day on the phone. Um, and so to be able to race with him was a lot of fun, and, and that, was, that was a pretty cool race when you go back and watch it. On the next episode of MRN Presents the Tough Trucks of NASCAR, 25 years of still trucking, we'll relive the best championship battles and moments with some of the series' best drivers. Until next time, I'm Mike Bagley.
Today's program was a presentation of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina and Daytona Beach, Florida. The Tough Trucks of NASCAR, 25 years and still trucking, was written and produced by Alexa Henrian. Any use of the accounts or descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network.